0: at chapters 6 and 7, and um, that follows chapters 4 and (laughs) 5. I only say that because I really want you, above all things, to have chapters 4 and 5 in your mind as the controlling message of the book of Revelation. We have studied through the first five chapters. Chapters 4 and 5 have the picture of the Lamb of God on the throne, Right next to the Father, they're surrounded by the seven horns of the Holy Spirit, an image of our triune God in the center of the universe. It is a beautiful picture. It is out of the throne of God where our Father is, where Christ is seen to be, though called the Lion of Judah, is not seen that way in the vision of John. He's seen as the Lamb who is slain. Very important for us to have in our mind that the picture of Jesus is the Lamb who was slain. So I want you to already begin to prepare your mind that the way we'll close our service today is at the Lord's table in communion. And we could even think that the Lamb who was slain who's going to make all things right in the world, is the Lamb who went to the cross to atone for our sins. As I speak this morning, my prayer is that you will be listening to the Holy Spirit saying, Lord Jesus, you are on the throne, but do I worship you? Do I follow you? Where where is the leadership of Jesus seen in my life? If he is the Lamb of God, if he is the King of kings, then everything about our life needs to align with him. And I pray the Holy Spirit will just draw us to say, Lord, we want to cling to you because the time is near. Now, it is at this point in the book of Revelation where many people who study it come to a stop and close the book. It is because chapter 6 through 18 at least, if not 19 and 20, are complicated. They're more difficult. People stop studying at this point because it, it has created a whole different set of models on how to interpret the book of Revelation. This is where models of saying, how do I understand the next 12 chapters divide. All you back in your mind to week number one where we said there are great people who love Jesus and follow him and see the book of Revelation in slightly nuanced ways. We'll all be around the throne together if we call upon the name of the Lord to be saved and we're going to do our very best to look at the book of Revelation in a way that accomplishes what it says, blessing to those who read and keep the words of this prophecy. Keeping the words of chapter 6 are going to be a little bit challenging, but understanding chapter 7 is also has its challenges, but that's what we're after. Remember when three, uh, the three chapters 2 and 3 had the letters to the churches, the aim for the churches is that you would be ready, that you would be faithful, that the churches would not be compromising or complacent. And so Calvary Bible Church As we go into chapter 6 and 7, that's the same thing I'm praying for us, that we would not be complacent in our faith, that we would not compromise with the world empire in which we live today, the United States of America, but we would see ourselves as belonging to the one who is on the throne, who lives forever and rules in sovereignty and holiness. With me? Okay, with that in our mind, a couple things for us to keep in mind. The whole story of the book of Revelation then Um, is that Jesus is on the throne, and as on the throne, He is going to make right all of the wrongs of this world, and as He does this, He is going to address the powers of this world, which is commonly referred to in the book of Revelation generally as Babylon, Babylon, the powerful, idolatrous cult empire of this world, the cult of rebellion and death that's under the orchestration of human empires and ultimately of Satan, who is the dragon and the deceiver of the whole world. These are the images. And so the book of Revelation is, in some sense, a political book of God dealing with the kingdoms of this world. But God is on the throne, He's sovereign, He's holy, He's worthy. He's the lion who rules as a lamb. And judgment coming from the throne does not conflict with Jesus. It emerges from His righteous being. It flows from His ability to judge the world that has failed to be obedient and listen to Him. Revelation's vision of judgment is one that has repeated visions of judgment. Symbols that are seen by John, not always to be immediately referred to as the precise, real descriptions of how things may be on the earth. You have to understand, we use it. My wife says I use it too much, but it's the apocalyptic language of the book of Revelation, means there is language there that is meant to be symbolic rather than literal. But it conveys a literal reality. What John is seeing in his visions is the way things are in heaven but cannot be perceived here on earth until he was ushered into heaven and then he saw things. So we are about to see in chapter 6 something that John sees with horses. and They are images of the judgments and the unfolding of God in heaven. But all of Revelation in this section up until about chapter 19 or so is to describe what happens when you reject the Lamb and all the experiences of a disordered society and world that leads to destruction and death and despair. It's the pattern of what happens, and we're going to see that. It's repeated in other places. We're going to look at chapter 6 where finally the seals are opened from chapter 5, who is worthy to open it, only the Lamb of God, and so he does. So let's look at chapter 6 and begin to make an examination. In your notebook, you would want to write Zechariah chapter 1 and say there's a a place in Zechariah 1 where the horses are mentioned. You would put in your mind Matthew chapter 24 and 25 and Mark chapter 3 in which the events described in Revelation chapter 6 find a parallel to what's happening in Jesus' Olivet Discourse in the Gospels. Um, It's going to be hard to get all of it. you with me on that? So we'll dip in and see as much as we can. All right, chapter 6, verse 1 reads, Now I watched when the Lamb opened the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. You remember that the way we described the scroll is that the scroll contains all of God's plan for human history, his judgments and his salvation. It is the plan that unfolds to bring the kingdom of our Lord to this earth. All of the end of human history. So imagine the scroll popping open and John is getting a vision in heaven. I see the living creature say, Come, and I looked and behold a white horse. The rider had a bow and he was given a crown and to him was given the ability to come out conquering and to conquer. This horse is seen to be, by John, represent a conquest, which in John's mind would have been immediately apparent in his day to be the Roman Empire. John would have thought that, that this imagery is the rolling conquest of the empire, who is given a crown... I love that that language indicates that God who is on the throne gives to this image of coming conquest in the world whatever authority it is given. Some have wondered if it's because it's a white horse, is this Jesus? I don't think so. I think this is the unfolding of the judgments of God, but we're going to talk about why these judgments come in this way. The first is a horse or a a wave that happens in the world of an unleashing of conquest and conquering. How were you doing yesterday when we woke up and, and saw what happened in the world? And my heart was just, it's broken. It, it comes home. That Israel is under attack. And there are wars and rumors of wars and conquest. The second horse is, he opened the second seal, verse 3, and I heard the living creature say, Come, and out came another horse of bright red, and the rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. Able to take peace, cause people to kill one another. Intentional conflict to accomplish the conquest that was listed in the first. You see, these, these are unfolding where God is in heaven and John sees the vision as what, what is going to happen. The scroll of human history is being broken open and what unfolds is war and death. And so what, what happened yesterday, we just say, here is Israel in the midst of a conflict and war and death. This is where some would look at the book of Revelation and say that from chapter 6 all the way to the end, there is a linear, literal, sequential unfolding of everything that begins to accumulate. And that's one way to look at it. It's very hard to make them all fit together. But another way of thinking of it is what John is seeing here is he is seeing what is true in his day. That God is in heaven and He is unleashing, allowing for the kingdoms of this world who refuse to submit to Him to experience the worst of humanness by conquering and warring, which then leads to, as if it were, a horse riding through all of the world in blood, taking peace from the earth and murder and violence coming on the earth. The third horse. The third horse is described in verse 5. The third seal was opened, and a living creature said, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse. Its rider had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and don't harm the oil and the wine. What's that about? This is the third horse, the third judgment of God, the unleashing in the world that seems to accumulate and flow out of conquest, death. And then there is massive economic disparity in the world in which for many people the ability just to even buy wheat and barley, which is daily food, requires a denarius. Anybody know what a denarius is? It's a whole day's wage. And so there is a Condition in the world in which much of the world is experiencing hunger, famine, and I work all day and all I get is what I have, and inflation is so high that it just robs people of their ability. But for some, for the few, don't harm the oil and the wine. There's a disparity between some who can experience the luxuries of this world and the poverty and famine and scarcity in this world. Do You see how that might follow if you have war and murder and violence, and then the outcome of that is we've spent all of our money on the war machine that we don't have enough for daily bread? Can you imagine how that might happen anybody? Yeah. And that's like God is in heaven and breaks the seals and This is the way the tribulation period is going to be. The tribulation of humans who refuse the lamb on the throne. They war with each other. They murder each other. There is this economic and food scarcity. And then the fourth horse, seven. I heard the voice of a living creature say for the fourth time, come. Which is an interesting phrase. Is he saying come to the horse? Come? Maybe. Or could he be saying what is the whole cry of revelation? Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Again, people look at it differently. I wonder if you look at all of these, when the seal is broken, the creatures cry out, Come, Lord Jesus! And he sent out a horse of war. He sent out a horse. These are not literal horses, right? Are you with me? This is like God working in Humanity, who refuses to acknowledge him, and the fourth seal, a pale horse, its rider was death, and Hades followed him, and they were given authority to kill a fourth of the earth, to kill with the sword and famine and pestilence, which often follows war. I, I want you to see that one of the ways of looking at this unfolding of the four horsemen is the cumulative unfolding, a chain of events, if you will of conquest, war, death, economic injustice, and famine, so that the world of suffering is allowed by God in the breaking of the seals, allowed by God, but the result of humanity refusing to acknowledge the Lamb who is on the throne. And sin is released in the world, and it goes unrestrained in its divine judgment. Do you ever see in the New Testament a pattern of God allowing humans to go their way and then allowing it to get worse and worse and worse? You have a microcosm of this in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to the end of the chapter, where people sin against God and He lets them go. I think you see something similar here in the unfolding of the four horsemen, if you will, And so you ask yourself, is what's happening in Revelation chapter 6 divine punishment or human sin and choice? Yes, it's both. It's human rejection of God and God letting them go and letting divine punishment be in the consequence of human choice that comes there. There is a change then when you get to the fifth seal, verse 9. Open the fifth seal and I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they bore. They cried to the Lord with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood to those who dwell on the earth? This is the cry of, of martyrs. They cry out to the Lord, how long will you wait to vindicate those who have murdered us. And it's a picture as John breaks the seal that moves from the four horsemen moving about the earth back up into heaven to see at the altar of God there is before God the prayers of the saints who have been persecuted and murdered. And John's getting a snapshot that what is contributing to the, the Lamb's work from the throne are the prayers of the saints. Could I make an application? I want you to notice as we travel through the book of Revelation how many times the prayers of the saints are represented as being before the throne to influence the Lamb who is on the throne. He sees the prayers of His saints, and He listens to the prayers of the saints, and it becomes one of the seals unbroken that they cry out. Verse 11, they were each given white robe and told to rest a while until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were killed as they themselves had been. don't you know what John's seeing and where it is, but he's seeing a group of martyrs before the throne who are saying, Lord, is this the time you will make all things right? And the Lamb on the throne says, no, not yet. There are more to be brought as martyrs. There's a picture of history here. And the last seal is the most spectacular and the most Cataclysmic, if you will, verse 12, he opened the sixth seal, and I looked, and behold, a great earthquake, and the sun became as black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth, and the fig tree sheds, as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit, when a shake by a gale. The sky vanished, like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Now, that sounds pretty final, doesn't it? That is cosmic disturbance in which the sky and the moon and the sun are totally changed. There is some kind of meteor shower. I don't know what John is describing entirely here, but the picture is of the final day. The sky is rolled up. The sun is darkened, the moon is darkened, and it's vanished. Every mountain moved from its place. But watch how earth responds in the next verse, verse 15. The kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, you'd like to read right here, they fall down in worship. They fall down and repent. But no, they hide themselves in the caves and the rocks and the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. This is, to me, I, I look at this and say John is seeing one of the visions of Revelation and this is a picture of the end. The great day of the Lord has come. I think John is going to get several visions like this that may not run literally, sequentially, but may be snapshots of looking at the seals. And if you you notice what what seal's not here in chapter 6? 7. Where is it? It's not until 8. So something happens in chapter 7 which is going to answer the last question here, which is, who can stand? If God breaks the seals on the unfolding of what human history will be like and war rides through and conquest rides through and violence rides through and financial inequity and famine ride through and disease and death rides through and up at the throne of God there are a group of people praying, Lord, how long until you make this right? And then in this picture, the whole cosmic world collapses on itself, decreates on itself. Who can stand? I want to suggest to you that chapter 6 gives a a vision. Chapter 8 is going to give another vision. But in between, there is an answer to this question, who can stand? Who can stand? Verse 7. Verse 1, not on the screen, but verse 1. after this, I saw four angels standing in the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth, or sea, or against the sea. And I saw another angel ascending and rising from the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea, saying, here's verse 3, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their forehead." And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Okay, what's happening? I thought we just saw everybody harmed in chapter 6. Chapter 7, don't don't break the sixth seal until we've sealed. I think chapter 7 is a look at another vision of John that who can stand? Very briefly, see how hard it is to make it all the way through all of these things? It's complex. But very briefly, I think what John is now seeing is the answer to the final question of chapter 6, who can stand? And who can stand are those who are sealed from every tribe. And the 12 tribes of Israel are then listed. Again, this is where um, a a divide occurs between, is this a literal 12,000 from each of the tribes, which are, by the way, not listed in the exact same way as they are in the Old Testament? I want to suggest something that we're going to see a pattern that happens again and again in the book of Revelation. It's a pattern that says, um, I heard, see that in verse 4? I heard the number... 144. Now what do you know about the number 12? 12 is a significant number? 12 is a significant number. Yes, thank you for saying that. 12 is a sense of fullness and completeness, particularly um, often with regard to humanity and mind, and particularly in reference to the saints. So 12 is an important number. Here you have 144,000. What's 12 times 12? 144. I think what John is doing is he is giving a number that is a, a, a picture of a complete number of the 12 tribes times 12. I, I'm not sure whether you need to apply it to the 12 apostles or not, but you, you have 12 tribes with twelve 000. 12 times 12 is 144, times 10, times 10, times 10. I think John is using a number to represent what he heard, which then, in verse 9, says what he saw. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Many people think that the two groups, the 144,000 and the myriad, of verse 9, are different. I think they might be the same group. I heard this number, which is meant to be a big number, and the myriads of people who are there, regardless of Seven is answering the question, who are those who are able to stand? I saw this number and this myriad, and what are they doing? They are the ones standing before the throne, and they are saying, as verse 12 said, that we pass over this time, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor, power be to God forever. They are the ones who sit on the throne and the elder said, well, who are these clothed in white robes? They're the ones who come out of the tribulation, the great tribulation. Whether that's the great tribulation at the very end of the age or the tribulation period that is as the last days that comprise the whole period of time of human history from the ascension of Jesus till his second coming. As you look at the book of Revelation, it's all then in this world you will have tribulation, and here it is. Who's able to stand as God culminates His judgment over the world? Those who are sealed. 144,000, a myriad of people who are saying, salvation belongs to our God, and to Him who sits on the throne. You know, the Bible talks about how we are sealed, how we are redeemed. I want all of us to think that what's going to happen at the end of the age is in one sense happening now. It's going to be wrapped up completely in a great judgment of God and the Lord will return. But we're seeing the tribulation of God bringing trouble into the world by the human evil of mankind and empires in this world. Would you agree? We're seeing the empires of this world reject the rule of God and do violence. And there will be a day when God will say that's enough, and He will wrap up human history. Who can stand through this kind of tribulation? Those who are sealed. Will it be a seal on your head? I don't think so. What will the seal be? What is the seal described in the Bible? Do you have any clues about the seal of God in the life of a person anywhere else in the New Testament? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You want to open your Bible and see it? We're going to close quickly. So, if you want to know how to how to make it through, here it is. Go to Galatians, if you. I'm sorry, Ephesians, if you will. Ephesians chapter one. This won't be on the screen, but Ephesians chapter one and verse thirteen. Verse 13, Paul says to the Christians there, In Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in Jesus, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. How are believers Since the cross of Jesus sealed by believing in Jesus and God performs a work of sealing your life by the power of His Holy Spirit indwelling you so that you will stand in whatever tribulation you find yourself. Look at chapter 4 and verse 30 of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed until the day of redemption. You you were sealed until the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. Why? Because you belong to God. Who can stand in tribulation if all the world collapses? if, If the Lord allows human activity to break out in the world in evil and violence and murder and martyrdom as we saw yesterday... Who can stand? Those who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit because they have trusted in Jesus. Those who are faithful to Jesus. Those who cry out, Lord, how long will you let us suffer in this present darkness? Those who cling to the Lord. We live in a naive idea about our comfort in the United States of America. This empire is collapsing in on itself. And I I don't know how this corrupt, immoral empire that we've treasured can stand. It might. God's grace be on us. But if it doesn't, we'll all face great persecution, as many are around the world. Who can stand? Ah, if you know Christ and the Lamb on the throne is your Lord, you you will stand. I, I want to wrap up and say two things. The way Jesus conquered was through his death. The way we stand is by clinging to him with all of our heart. The, the end of chapter 7 ends in this beautiful uh, beautiful language Therefore, they are before the throne of God. They serve Him day and night in the temple. Who is that? Those who will stand. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His peace. They'll hunger no more. It's a picture of the eternal place by His throne. Neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne. He will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. John is caught up to see in chapter 7. Who can stand? Oh, these can stand. And this is what they will experience. Have, Have you trusted in Christ? Have you? If not, I call you to cry out and trust the Lord with all your heart today. We're going to take communion. The Lord Jesus died as the slain lamb to give us eternal life. As you eat this piece of bread, my prayer is that your heart would say to Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. As you drink the cup, my hope for you is that you would say, Lord Jesus, thank you that your blood covers all of my sins so that as I trust in you, I know no tribulation will come into my life that would separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What shall separate us from the love of God Shall tribulation, everyone? No. Christ, the Lamb who was slain, offers life. When you trust in Him, He will place the seal of His Spirit upon you. You belong to Him. No one shall snatch you out of His hand. Let's take communion with confidence. The world is falling apart, but the Lamb is on the throne. He is sovereign. He is holy, and he calls us today to worship and be ready. Let's pray together. you're helping to serve, would you come? Lord Jesus, we say to you, worthy are you who was slain, worthy to receive glory and honor and power, Salvation belongs to you. We bless you that you have offered it to us through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus, you died for our sins. You were buried and you were raised. and You are Lord forever. And until you come, we declare that you alone offer salvation. I pray that you will open the hearts of men and women who are in this room to call upon you, to rest in you and for all of us who have known you for many years, Lord, would you just make us aware today that the world is coming to a close and you are coming to return and you will make things right you will carry us through some of us may suffer but you are the lamb on the throne and we cling to you As we take this communion experience today, Lord, may our hearts express love to you. Thank you for your broken body. We see you on Calvary bearing our sins, and our hearts are full of praise. We eat this bread in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, amen.